Yes! Welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. (sighs) Episode one. We are here. We finally made it. I'm not going to lie to you right now. I feel like Matt Foley. I feel like uh, I'm I'm all hopped up on caffeine. I feel like I'm just ready to bust out of the basement and uh, go crazy on your coffee table. Welcome to the show. We've had a few test episodes. You are welcome to go back and listen to those. I've been debating when to do the first episode, and pretty much now I've got the sound worked out. I've got the show format worked out, and the only thing that I need to do is get the scheduling down, but I believe that you are a reasonable person, and you're going to be willing to work with me as we get that settled in. We're going to get together here, and we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of current events and politics. When you read these news stories on your Facebook feed, when you see it on the news, when you catch it on the radio, everybody's got an agenda that they're trying to put forth, and they've got a narrative that they're trying to drive home. And it's very difficult to find actual unbiased news and for someone to really tell you just what the facts are and to stop telling you what you need to believe about this or how that's supposed to change your perception of the world. I got a couple promises for you. Number one, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not just going to read these news articles to you verbatim. Um, I'm going to assume that if you're listening to the show, you have at least a reasonable idea of what's going on, that you've at least seen the headlines of whatever people are talking about this week. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to talk to you like you're stupid. If you're here, I believe that you're an intelligent person and you're looking for a little bit more than just the mainstream narrative for these things. So my goal is to go in with you and look at these things in the light of not what is the narrative, not what are they trying to convince you to do, but instead, what does it really mean? What are they trying to get at here? There are a lot of marketing techniques and a lot of persuasion techniques that politicians and news agencies and TV channels, all of these people are trying to use those things on you to steer your thoughts in a certain direction and to steer your dollars in a certain direction. And you know, so many times it's just straight up fear-mongering because when you're afraid, you go back and you look more. You keep watching, you keep reading, and that's a way to keep getting your clicks and your views so that they can make money off of you. My goal here is to cut through all that noise, cut through all of that bullcrap, and instead provide you with a better picture of what's really going on. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. But I am hopefully going to be able to challenge some of your views and some of your beliefs to make you question, you know, is this something that I really believe or is this just what I've always been told in school and by the media? Now, when it comes to being unbiased, it's basically impossible. We all have views. We all have beliefs. Um, we all come from different backgrounds that have shaped the way that we look at the world and they've shaped the way that we look at politics. I'm no different. The big difference with this show is I'm going to come at you up front and tell you from the very beginning, this is what this show is based on. These are where I'm coming from. When we look at any issue, when we talk about any story, when we debate any problem that needs to be solved, I promise that I'm always going to come to you from our three guiding principles of this show. Peace, property rights, and free markets. Everything that we talk about is going to come back to those areas. Everybody just expects you to be reactionary. Everybody expects you to just fly with the wind. However we feel about this story is is where we're going to go with it. And of course, we know that, you know, normally we have rules, but there's going to be exceptions to that rule. And this is one of those exceptions. And 
I don't want to do that here. We are going to have a firm foundation. So once again, peace, property rights, and free markets. We're going to talk about what those mean uh, as we get into it, as the show unfolds, and as we continue with future episodes. But I just want you to know up front, this is where I'm coming from. And honestly, I don't expect you to have too much trouble getting on board with that. Um, Most of us are very peaceful people. We don't want to fight with anybody else. We don't want to hurt anybody else. Property rights are as simple as you don't come to my house and try to take my things. I won't come to your house and try to take your things and we'll both be happy. And finally, free markets means that you don't need somebody looking over your shoulder telling you how you're supposed to spend your money, what your money is supposed to be spent on or what your money is supposed to be worth. Now, I think that that's pretty fair. Hopefully you do too. And with that being said, we're going to jump right in. Uh, My first story I've got here is from Pluralist. And in test episode number three, we talked about this Jussie Smollett thing. And at the time that we recorded that episode, everything had just kind of come out. The Nigerian brothers had come clean and said that they helped him orchestrate this attack and that it was all fake and it was all planned. Since then, the charges have been dropped against him. So I'm going to jump right in here. Headline says, police furious that Jussie Smollett got off after pressure from Michelle Obama aid. Uh, The Chicago Police Department is furious that charges against actor Jussie Smollett were dropped Tuesday, according to reports. Local media said police are confident in their evidence against the actor, who was last month charged with 16 counts of disorderly conduct, after being accused of staging a fake hate crime against himself on January 29th. Unless you've been living under a rock, and probably even then, you've heard about what happened with Jussie Smollett. And I'm sure no doubt you have an opinion on the matter. Now, I've said from the beginning, I was a little surprised to see the media even cover this story. As soon as we got pretty good evidence that he had faked the whole thing, I expected them to just drop it and not talk about it anymore. But apparently, they couldn't pass up a good controversy, uh, which is which is fair. You know, when we have polarizing issues like this and we have all of these different Uh, tensions at play, you know, it makes for a good story. It makes for something that's interesting, especially with the twists and turns that have kind of come out of that. Now, at this point, uh, Jesse Smollett is walking free. I saw some pictures and headlines that uh, he's apparently vacationing in Hawaii now, and, you know, they showed a picture of him being happy, and uh, of course, you know, that's supposed to upset you even more that this guy's walked free. Um, The story's kind of pivoted away from him, and is now focusing on Cook County attorney Kim Fox and her involvement with this whole thing. Now, there's a lady named Tina Chen, and she was Michelle Obama's chief of staff. Somebody in Jesse Smollett's family put her in touch with Kim Fox, and they asked Kim Fox to get the Chicago Police Department to hand the case over to the FBI. This happened in Chicago. Chicago Police Department was investigating it, but... The family of Justice Smollett claims they were worried about leaks coming out of the police department, getting out into the press, and everybody finding out, you know, whatever his business was, making it more difficult for him to get a fair trial. And, uh, you know, as those things come out, obviously they can hurt your career as well if you're a public figure like he is. They got a clip from an email here. Spoke to the Superintendent Johnson, Fox emailed Chen the same day. I convinced him to reach out to the FBI to ask that they take over the investigation. He is reaching out now and will get to me shortly. Uh, Tina Chen texted a similar message to Smollett's family member who replied, OMG, this would be a huge victory. I make no guarantees, but I'm trying, Kim Fox wrote back. The family claimed they were worried about leaks. What's probably more likely is 
between Kim Fox and Michelle Obama's staff, they probably had friends in the FBI who they had good faith that they were probably just going to sweep this case under the rug. They were just going to throw it out and say, well, you know, the guys got away. Whoever they were, it was a terrible thing that happened. Sorry, we've got nothing. And that was going to be the end of the story. And there will always be, you know, this little cloud hanging over Jesse Smollett's head saying, you know, maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. But with this kind of accusation or this kind of report that someone did something that terrible, honestly, it takes kind of a bold person to press against that unless they have a lot of evidence. Now, as we've learned, as it unfolded, the police did have a lot of evidence and they did have a whole case that Jesse Smollett was now the focus of the report and not the people who had supposedly committed the crime. So the cops aren't stupid and they could tell that something was going on. And as they started poking around and digging around, they found out that this was going on between Kim Fox, Michelle Obama's chief of staff and Jesse Smollett's family. As a result, they pressured Kim Fox to recuse herself from the case. Now, let's be honest here. This isn't the first time that somebody's managed to get off with a crime that they've committed, right? This isn't the first time that they someone has ever called in a few favors and got somebody to drop the charges to a much lesser charge or to just to throw them out completely and just forget about it. The police are familiar with this. The police have seen this kind of thing happen before, and a lot of them may have even been involved with it in the past with uh, the same thing happening with a different person. But in this case, the police are upset the, uh, the police are angry that someone has really pulled the wool over their eyes like this. And then they find out that this Cook County attorney is the one who's kind of orchestrating and behind all of it to try to make it happen. So they pressure her to recuse herself from the case. At this point, I think Kim Fox, she felt like she had done enough to get it moved over to the FBI. You know, the superintendent of the police uh, said that he was going to consider it. It doesn't seem to me like he really was considering it, but, you know, sometimes you just tell people you're going to do something so that they'll get out of your office and leave you alone so that you can get on with your work. But whatever it was, he told her, yeah, you know, we'll consider it. Yeah, we'll do it. She felt pretty confident that it was going to get handed over to the FBI, and she announced publicly that she had recused herself from the case. At that point, the police continued moving forward with their investigation against Jesse Smollett, who, at this point, he's looking at 16 counts of disorderly conduct. But then, suddenly, all charges against Jesse Smollett were dropped in exchange for the $10,000 that he paid in bond and the community service that he had already done. Ironically enough, that was at a political event with Reverend Al Sharpton. Um... You're going to see differing reports floating around there. Uh, I think the bond was $100,000. In case you don't know, you usually only have to pay like 10% of that. So he probably gave them $10,000 cash, you know, wire payment or whatever to get out. And they just said, hey, we'll keep the bond. You know, we'll use this stuff that you've done. I also saw it mentioned that he had used uh, some time that he spent on PBS as public service as well. Now, as these charges are dropped, we find out that Kim Fox didn't actually recuse herself from the case. She just recused herself, she said, in the colloquial sense. This is a flat-out lie. When somebody of this level recuses themselves, it actually pulls their entire office off the case. The point of a recusal is just to admit, hey, for whatever reason, I'm too close to this situation, I have conflicting ideas or conflicting obligations that may be pulling me in a different direction. I'm just going to step back and let somebody else take over this. To be honest, that's the way that a good uh, justice system, a good investigational system should work. There should be no shame in 
pulling yourself away from a situation so that whatever's going on here can get a fair shake. You know, we can really find out whether or not Jesse Smollett was attacked by, you know, two white guys in MAGA hats or whether he faked the whole thing or whatever the truth may be if it's somewhere in between. Um, the problem is, like I said, her whole office should have been pulled off of this, but uh, we find out that she kind of stepped back out of the spotlight, her second-in-command took over and moved forward, and then they spoke with the district attorney and decided to drop the charges. The district attorney kind of came out and basically said that they looked at the charges, they looked at what he was up against, and the district attorney also made it very clear that he didn't believe that Jussie Smollett was exonerated. Um, but that they just believed that this was the best possible way to handle this situation and just to sweep it under the rug. Now, what probably happened was, if I am Jussie Smollett's lawyer, I'm going to them and I'm saying, look, this guy is a celebrity. This guy is a well-known black gay man who you are going to put in jail for a nonviolent crime, and he's going to be in jail with violent offenders. This is going to make it dangerous for him to be there. It's going to make him more dangerous in the future. It's going to make it harder for him to get a job in the future, which pushes him back toward crime. And if anything happens to this guy, it's going to be all over the news because everybody knows who he is. And so if somebody beats him up or somebody kills him, you're looking at a public relations nightmare because you put a nonviolent person in jail and they died on your watch. And it's somebody that everybody knew and somebody who is a member of some protected classes who is at a greater risk in a general prison population. That's what I think the argument was coming from the lawyer to the district attorney office. On top of that, you've got Kim Fox and her people working with Michelle Obama's uh, chief of staff and her people trying to get everything moved over to the FBI where they can get a case that's a little bit more in their favor, and everyone kind of just decides, hey, we're going to drop it and move on with it. Now, the police are furious. The mayor is furious. A lot of the people in Chicago are really upset about this. Um, you've got conservatives who are really upset about this because they felt somewhat vindicated. that Somebody accused a member of their camp of this horrible, racist, homophobic crime. And finally, they, they, they find out that, you know, they didn't have anything to do with it and that the whole thing was actually just a big hoax. And they wanted somebody to pay. And now it doesn't look like he's going to pay. And the, the police feel like, you know, they've been duped and they want somebody to pay for it. But uh, Jesse Smollett walks free because he was able to call in a few favors. Now, the big questions that we're left with are, how does something like this happen and who is to blame? And we're going to answer that question. But first, let's jump to another story from the Washington Post. The text says here, It all started last Monday, that's April 1st, when police in Barbersville, West Virginia, wrote on Facebook that a woman had called 911 and told dispatchers that a strange man had tried to grab her five-year-old daughter while she was shopping at a local mall. The woman, later identified in court records as Santana Adams, told them that she had scared the stranger away by pulling out her gun. When officers showed up on the scene a short time later, they spotted a man by the food court who matched the description she had given them, police wrote. He was promptly arrested. This is obviously a scary situation, right? As a parent, this is your worst nightmare. This guy tries to grab her child by the hair and drag her away. Luckily, the woman is armed, and the woman pulls a gun on the guy, scares him away. 
and all is well, right? They talk about how the comments on social media were along the lines of, you know, so glad that this woman had a gun, so long, so glad that this woman took the steps to protect herself. She is a hero, right? Story says, but less than 24 hours after Muhammad Fathi Hussein Zayan, age 54, of Alexandria, Egypt, was booked into jail on felony attempted abduction charges, the panic-inducing story had completely fallen apart. Long story short, the police went in, they started asking for witnesses, there were no witnesses. They started looking at the security tape, the people had both been in the store at the same time, but there was no indication that they spoke to each other, had any contact, uh, that he obviously didn't have any contact with the daughter or anything like that, and then they both left the store uh, relatively close to the same time, but they just went opposite directions and didn't appear that they had seen each other at all even. At this point... She went back and said, maybe he just patted my child on the head. Maybe it was just a cultural misunderstanding. Um, But at this point, you've already thrown a guy in jail. And you've already told the police in a call to 911 that this guy tried to grab your kid and drag her away by the hair. Here's where it got somewhat entertaining. As it comes out that this woman has lied about this story, of course, somebody locally knows her. They're able to point her Facebook feed out to the media. And they start releasing a couple of pictures of her and all I can say is uh, the, the meme gods are smiling down on us with these pictures. I've got these links in the show notes. One of the links starts with the, uh, the word that looks like it says S content. That's directly from her Facebook page. That'll pull up that picture directly. Um, also, if you go to the article at heavy.com uh, that I've got in the show link, it's got the pictures of her as well. And typically we're not going to do this, but this was just too funny. Um, it looks like those pictures where... You go to the department store and, you know, you're wearing like your nicest sweater and they, they make you stand, you know, with your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you and it's just super tacky and super cheesy and you put it on all your Christmas cards and send it out. Well, this is with her and her husband, baby daddy, closest relative. I don't I don't even know, but they've they've both got their pistols open carried at like the one o'clock position uh, with their hips like popped out and their hands on their guns like they're ready to draw on the photographer. And you can just tell by the facial expression that they're just so pumped to be standing there. And and then, of course, he's got his arm draped over her shoulder, and it looks like he's about to grab her by the chest. Um, again, we're not normally going to do this kind of thing on the show, but this was just too funny to be true. You've got to see this just to see that this is the person who called 911 and said that this Egyptian dude tried to grab her daughter off by the hair. Uh, and instead, there's a picture of her with her gun ready to draw and the guy behind her who I'm pretty sure he's wearing a cutoff t-shirt under that polo uh, that says, women love me and fish fear me. It's got one of those on it. I am positive. I promise you that. And a little bit lower, they somebody pulled a picture from her wedding and uh, what looks like to be her dad standing there beside her, he has a, a long rifle kind of balanced over one arm and he can barely hold on to it because in his other hand, he's got a pistol and the pistol is pointed kind of back and beside him right at his daughter's head. And then somebody standing off to the left of the picture, it's kind of cropped off, is also holding a pistol next to the groom and it also appears to be pointed either right at her gut or right at the father. My description is probably not even doing it justice, but you've just, you've got to look at these. Um, Listen, I am all about your right to own guns and your right to carry guns and you should be able to protect yourself wherever you are. However, I don't want to tell you how how to live your life, but you don't ever point your freaking gun at something that you wouldn't want destroyed, okay? That includes your daughter in her wedding dress at her wedding. 
and you don't need to go to the local department store to get your picture taken with your gun on your front hip like you're ready to draw it. Get out of here. Come on. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Anyway, click the pictures. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, we're not normally going to do that on this podcast, but this was just... These are memes in the making, I I promise you. So anyway, uh, those pictures get out and it appears that she couldn't wait to pull her gun on somebody. And then as the, the details come forward, it looks like she didn't even draw the gun at all. She is now looking at a $500 fine and possibly six months in prison. And police are pursuing charges on her. They've got pictures of her when she went in for her arraignment and all of that. Now, drawing this back in with the Jussie Smollett story, who's really to blame here? What is the difference between these two stories of one man going free and another woman who did basically the same thing, and now she's looking at charges and she's looking at at facing punishment for that? Now, the Washington Post, they're blaming social media. They're saying that this woman did this just so that she could get her story out and that she could become Facebook famous and uh, that she could just scare as many people as possible because when people get scared, people share things. Kim Fox is blaming racism for all of the pressure on her and for all of the people who don't believe Jussie Smollett's story, that they're doing it because they're racist. And I think that because this is apparently some redneck white girl, and because Jussie Smollett is a gay black celebrity, people are assuming that those things have something to do with why these two situations ended differently. I don't think that that's the point. I really don't think that the race has so much involved with it, um... Look, Chicago is a very liberal city, and they have a lot of black people in positions of power in that city. I don't know that that's the thing that we need to be focusing on with this. The big difference here is Jussie Smollett knew the right people. He knew people who could call in favors for him, try to get his case moved somewhere where he would be viewed more favorably, And they took whatever actions they needed to take and called in whatever favors they needed to do to make sure that this was just going to go away. This is about the power of politics. This is about what happens when you give some people special privileges to rule over other people. Power corrupts people. If you you had the power to put anybody you wanted in jail, don't you think maybe you would do some favors for your friends as well? Don't you think it would be really easy just to let a few things slide here and there when you know that this person is a, is a good friend or they really didn't mean to do anything wrong? When you give certain people power over other people, it becomes really easy to uh, just sweep some things under the rug. Just let some things go. This person knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Let's just call in a couple favors and, and help them out. That's the right thing to do. All right, we, we help our friends, right? As the late, great George Carlin said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Now, the question here uh, that we're left with, that we don't really have any power to enforce, but I'm going to ask it nonetheless, what's the right thing to do about this? Well, first of all, let's ask, why was this a crime? Number one, it wasted police resources in both cases. No matter how you feel about the police, part of their job is to investigate crimes. When somebody says that something's happened, it's their job to go out, ask questions, drive around, use all of their databases and whatever they've got to bring in as much evidence as possible to figure out what happened. In both cases, this was done. If we're talking about victims here, I think that that is probably your number one victim of this crime. On the other hand you also have the panic that you've caused from the public. Now, I'm not a big fan of the idea of people just committing crimes against society. Going back to peace and property rights, if you didn't hurt anybody and you didn't take anybody's stuff, I don't know that it's fair to put this person in jail because of that. But the point of the crime 
of each of these crimes is they really took advantage of the public's fear of some of the worst things that could possibly happen. If you listen to Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson from the Chicago Police, he is furious over this. He is fuming mad because he's an older black man. He lived through a time when it was very possible that some black guy could have been jumped in the street and beaten up because of what his race was. This guy has lived through that, and to hear this story of this thing happening today may have brought back some of those kind of images and those kind of feelings and those kind of fears that he actually lived through. In this Santana Adams story where she goes and reports that someone tried to kidnap her child out from under her, and and luckily she was prepared enough to fight back, as a parent, that's your greatest fear is somebody taking your child and you not knowing what's going to happen to them. Of course these stories are going to make the news. Of course people are going to be impassioned about these stories. And of course people are going to be upset when they find out that you just lied to them so that you could get your 15 minutes of fame. Now many people are calling for both of these people to be put in prison. That they should serve jail time for that. You're free to feel that way if you want. But I think that if I came to your house and I destroyed something that you owned. Or I hurt someone that you cared about. Or... I wasted your time in your business and wasted a bunch of your time and money uh, by deliberately lying about something. To me, it doesn't seem right that the best punishment should be that you have to pay to feed, house, clothe, and protect me in a cage for an extended amount of time. Now, to some of you, that may be neither here nor there. You may not really care. But that's just something that I do want to throw out there that I think if if we want to talk about the proper reparations for this— and you want to talk about the proper way to deal with a nonviolent crime that's been committed, it just doesn't make sense to me to put them in jail and to make the very people who they have supposedly injured in this act, they should be the ones footing the bill for this person. And then that person gets out of jail and they can't get a job because they've got a felony on their record, and now you're paying for their welfare, so their health care is paid for, and um, they're, they're getting subsidized housing and all of this stuff. To me... That's a problem. And I think if you want to fix these type of things, they should be fixed in a civil suit. Um, You know, we see that the Chicago Police Department is moving toward, you know, hopefully filing a suit against Jesse Smollett to try to get back the, uh, I think they said $130,000 is what they spent investigating this. You know, you take one step further back and you're looking at the people that they supposedly harmed by telling a lie and preyed on their, their biggest fears. That would be a little bit less important to me, but maybe you could do a class action lawsuit or something like that. Again, that's not really the point of all of this, but I wanted to draw these two stories together and say that I I think that the big difference here isn't so much the race of the people as it's the people and their connection to other people who have power. And on top of that, just that I don't know that we should be throwing everybody in jail for every little thing that they've done wrong. Um, There should be better ways to pay people back for that. And I think that looking at some kind of real community service, looking at some kind of real monetary reparation for the wrong that you've done, I think would be a lot more effective and uh, it would be better off in the long term that you could actually just recoup what you've lost and move on from it instead of ruining a person's life for something and then Ironically enough, you're the one footing the bill for it from here on out. Now, toward the end of this Washington Post story, they also kind of place the blame, and they even mention it in the headline, that social media is partially to blame for these kind of things happening. Now, if you want to go back to test episode three, I give you my theory as to why I think Jussie Smollett may have done this and who is to blame for him doing this. 
Uh, you want to go back and listen to that, let me know what you think. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you think I'm full of crap. Either way, that's fine. We'll still be friends. But since the 2016 election, the media has really started to kind of focus in on social media and focus in on the problems uh, that come along with that, especially over the past year or so. They've really started to turn the screws to Facebook. Now, that's why at the end of this story, Washington Post tries to blame social media for what this girl did and that you know she just did it for the attention or whatever and that social media made it easy to happen. The reason for that is referencing back again, I believe I talked about this in test episode number three, up until just the past 10 years or so, they've always had their way with what story that they could tell. Um, you know, in the beginning, there were three news channels and that was the only place you were really going to get much of your news. As it expanded, there were a few more news channels, there were a few news sites, but now on social media, people can share news from wherever they want to share it from. Things can be reported on Twitter before they ever find out from anybody else. I probably should look it up to confirm it, but I've heard that when Osama bin Laden was killed, the first person to tweet about it was actually The Rock because he had a friend who was a Marine and that person told him and, and he was able to go live with it before any other news agency was able to do that. That's a lot of power to have and news can travel quickly, information can be spread quickly, and that takes power away from the news agencies. And, and everything that they do is about power. And when you're in business, obviously you want to have the biggest market share that you can. And before, the mainstream media had a stranglehold on the power, on the information. And now that's starting to slip away from them. And they want somebody to pay for that. And social media is one of the likely targets. So they um, are leaking more and more stories about the privacy concerns that go along with Facebook and Twitter with the ideas that they need to be blamed for any kind of terrorist attack that happens. You know, you had the thing in New Zealand. And uh, of course, you know, what is Facebook going to do to stop that? What is Twitter going to do to stop that? Instead of the bigger question, which is what, how do we stop these people? And uh, again, I mentioned part of that in test episode four, if you're interested in going back to that. There's a really interesting theory from Hannah Arendt who predicted back in the 70s why we were going to have such a rise in violence uh, in the coming years. Now, Mark Zuckerberg went to Congress and uh, testified before Congress. If you want to watch the videos, you can. You really haven't missed much. It was basically a bunch of old guys trying to grill this young guy about something that they absolutely did not understand. It was about one step away from you, know, you helping your grandma get her dial-up connection set up. What is an internet was kind of the, the overall tone of the whole thing. The important part is uh, Lindsey Graham was really grilling Mark Zuckerberg over this and he kept asking Zuckerberg repeatedly, would you be open to regulations for your social network and would you be willing to help us decide what those regulations should be? And Mark Zuckerberg said, yes if they're the right regulations. This story is also, all my stories are linked in the show notes, but this one is linked twice. Basically, there is a text version and there is a video by John Stossel that's pretty much the same as the article, but whether you want to watch the video or read it, they're both available there so you can do whatever you want. The big question is, why would a company be willing to accept regulation? Why would you ever volunteer for that kind of thing? 
you've learned in school, regulations are what keep businesses small and regulations are what keep monopolies from taking over. And regulations are the reason that all of your food isn't tainted with E. coli and why your car just doesn't explode while it's driving down the road. Because if it weren't for those government regulations, all of those things would happen for sure. Well, not so fast. The biggest, most important thing about regulations are they're expensive. When you get lawyers involved in anything, suddenly things get drawn out. You're paying people hundreds of dollars an hour to sort through all of this legal jargon and all of this information that doesn't make sense to anybody but the other lawyers. And the costs add up quite quickly. Now, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you run one of the biggest companies in the world. You have the most money out of almost anybody in the world. Those are minor issues that you have to deal with. But if you're a startup company just trying to get off the ground, that makes it much, much, much more difficult to really start from the bottom because if you don't have much money, you can't afford these lawyers. You can't afford these regulatory committees. You know, you look back at guys like Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates who built their empires out of their garage. They couldn't have done that if they had to buy legions of lawyers to go through thousands and thousands of pages of paperwork just to decide whether or not they were allowed to solder a motherboard together without a license. From this article, uh, as Yaron Brook, chairman of the Ayn Rand Institute, says, uh, Microsoft in the early 90s was the largest company in the world, incredibly successful. They spent exactly zero dollars on lobbying, on cronyism, on lawyers. They had no presence in Washington, D.C. Not a single lawyer, not a single building. Instead of investing in lawyers and lobbyists, Microsoft spent money on technology. But then, the sleepy codgers in Washington, D.C. noticed Microsoft's success. They were literally brought in front of Congress, recounts Brooke, yelled at by a Republican, Orrin Hatch from Utah. He said, you guys need to get involved here in Washington, D.C. You need to build a building here. Hire lawyers here. The unspoken text, you need to bribe me. The company didn't immediately obey. Microsoft said, you know what, leave us alone, says Brooke. We're busy. We're running the biggest company in the world. There's a lot to do. But that wasn't the end of it. Six months later, knock on the door at Microsoft. We're from the Justice Department, and we're here to prosecute you because you're offering customers a product for free. Internet Explorer, at a time when customers were paying money for Netscape, they offered it for free. Uh, The government called that a violation of antitrust law. Free services might make Microsoft too popular. For 10 years, they had to fight that lawsuit, and they lost. They got regulated. They got controlled. Guess how much Microsoft spends today in Washington, D.C.? Tens of millions of dollars. A company that should focus on pleasing customers had to start thinking more about pleasing government. It goes on to say that Microsoft went on to build a building that's about equal distance from the White House and the Capitol building. They are now accessible to Congress. They now spend so much money trying to help the laws get written so that those laws are written in their favor. And when they didn't want to play ball, when they just wanted to mind their own business, Congress went after them for giving out a free product. The the logic behind that was that because Microsoft put Internet Explorer on all of their computers that came with Windows for free, that they had an unfair advantage over Netscape. And, um, you know, I'm sure later on, you know, you've got Chrome, you've got Firefox, whatever, but they had an unfair advantage over those companies because theirs was built in with the product, a product that they built. Of course, you could put your own stuff on that. Why wouldn't that make sense? 
and it didn't stop you at all from downloading other browsers. One of the longest running jokes about Internet Explorer was that its only purpose was to take you to the Firefox website so that you could download the Firefox browser. It's not difficult to do, and anybody with a brain could do it, but the problem was they weren't playing along. And the people in power saw a problem with that. Google is looking at the same issues right now because they bundle Google Maps and Google Chrome on all of the Android phones. And now the European Union is going after them, telling them that it's unfair for them to package their software on their operating systems that they built. So many people complain about the lobbying in Washington. And they say we need to take the money out of politics and... And they complain that companies and corporations are the ones that run our country because of the amount of money they spend. And and, and people say, you know, you should just take that out of there. Well, the politicians love it. Why don't I just slip $50,000 into your back pocket and maybe you'll remember the next time you vote on some regulations to keep me in mind. The regulations are so often written by the lobbyists of the biggest corporations who can give the most money to people in Congress. Most of these corporations give money to people on both sides of the aisle. They give money to Republicans and they give money to Democrats. Just in case one or the other wins, they've already got their name on the list as one of the friends to keep an eye out for. How come you never see a new car company trying to sell cars to people in this country? Why can't new and innovative medicine and new and innovative medical treatments be brought to people in this country who have rare, deadly diseases? Why are you so limited to four cell phone companies or just a couple of internet companies or one water company? Because you have people in Washington who try to bleed guys like Bill Gates dry because they included free software with something that they sold to customers. So yes, Facebook is open to regulation. Facebook is open to helping make that regulation because it is in Facebook's best interest. Facebook has already done a great job of pretty much fending off every other big social network except for Twitter by either copying their features or buying them up as quickly as they possibly could. But as of right now, we are one startup away from the next big thing. The same way that we all moved from MySpace onto Facebook, the same way that we all moved from Facebook to Twitter, the same way that we all moved from Walmart to Amazon, Mark Zuckerberg knows that he is one small startup away from being yesterday's news. But if he can help keep us safe from fake news, and he can help keep us safe from anything that goes against the mainstream narrative, if he can help protect you from some company giving away free software, then he and his lawyers and your congressman can protect Facebook and their company indefinitely. Finally, one last piece of news. Um... Got an article here from NPR. Uh, Trump threatens to send detained immigrants to sanctuary cities as retaliation. President Trump confirmed reports that he is strongly considering sending detained immigrants in the country illegally to sanctuary cities to try to punish Democrats who have opposed his stringent immigration proposals. The comments came hours after White House and Homeland Security officials said the idea had been scrapped. We'll bring them to sanctuary city areas and let that particular area take care of it, whether it's a state or whatever it might be, Trump told reporters at the White House Friday. Uh, He went on to mention California. We'll give them more people. We'll give them a lot. We can give them an unlimited supply and let's see if they're so happy. They say we have open arms, Trump said. Uh, Then president took to Twitter earlier in the day. The radical left always seems to have an open borders, open arms policy. So this should make them very happy. 
on this show, look, I don't have an overly positive view of Donald Trump's policies. He really seems to just kind of fly by the seat of his pants at all times. He doesn't have any principles. He does whatever he feels is best at that moment that he feels it. You know, a lot of times uh, when it comes to foreign policy, it seems like he believes whatever the last person in the room told him. He's going to pull troops out of Syria, and then suddenly he talks to his people. He's not going to pull troops out of Syria anymore. He spent his whole campaign talking about draining the swamp. Then when it's time to start building his staff, he starts bringing in the same old people that have been in Washington for the past couple of decades. In this instance, though, Trump is doing something pretty clever. Uh, It may not be the most practical thing in the world. It may not be the right thing to do for our country. But politics is so much about optics and about the way things look and making sure that you can score political points for your next election. Of course, he's looking at 2020 now. The Democratic people are starting to, uh, I think we're up to 18 people now who have declared to be running as president uh, as Democrats or independents against Trump. And so he's got to make sure that he's scoring his points up. And in episode test episode one of this show, I talked about the wall. Uh, my first two episodes had a very different kind of format than uh, what this is. But if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, you're welcome to go back and look at it. But the Biggest thing to take away from that is I don't care what you think about the wall. I really, I, I could care less. Um, build a wall, don't build a wall. It doesn't matter. It's not going to make much of a difference. The problem that we have is that our immigration policy in this country is a mess. It is difficult to come in legally. It is difficult to do things the right way. And if you are in a desperate situation where you are afraid to live in your home country or you don't have food or money to take care of yourself in your own country, you're going to take desperate measures to try to get into the U.S. Now, as this rages on, the Democrats have gone nuts over the way that uh, incoming immigrants are treated at the border. And over the past several months, a few people have died at the border. And of course, you can argue whether or not that was because of miscare. You have families separated. All of these pretty emotional, pretty heavy issues that Trump and his administration are having to try to fend off. Now, what Donald Trump is doing here is he's trying to play himself as the negotiator that he so uh, that he brags about being so much. One of the things about negotiation is that if you talk yourself up as a good negotiator. A lot of times people will subconsciously believe that and they'll they'll give you a better deal just because uh, your reputation precedes you. You don't even have to do anything right. So much about Donald Trump has been the perception of who he is or the perception of what he's doing and not even so much the actual content or the practicality of what he's doing. Now here, he is essentially offering to negotiate with the Democrats by giving them some of what they claim to want and by sending... Uh, By offering to send more people to the sanctuary cities, he's doing a couple things. First of all, he's placing the burden of action back on the Democrats. They're the ones who have been saying, you need to let these people in, you need to let these people in, these people deserve a safe place to live. And he's basically saying, okay, fine, if that's what you want to do, let's send them to the most liberal cities, let's send them to the place where there are the most people who say that they want to welcome these people with open arms, let's send them in, you take care of them. Now, the first obvious problem is just the cost of it, right? A lot of these people are, they don't have jobs. They don't have anywhere to live. They're going to be living in um, potentially homeless shelters. They're going to look for subsidized housing. They're going to need food stamps, whatever. Um, That is the thing right away. But as we mentioned on test episode one, an increase in population 
tends to bring with it an increase in crime. You have more people, you're going to have more crimes. If you just even assume that 2% of people are criminals, well, if you go from 100 people to 200 people, you've gone from two criminals to four criminals. So if you let thousands or tens of thousands of new people into these cities, it's going to bring crime with it. Now, that's not to say that all of these people at the border are what your stereotypical Trump supporter would say, that they're all MS-13 gang members and they just want to bring in their drugs and they want to bring in their guns, you know, and they're going to burn all the churches to the ground and have us all follow Sharia law and it's going to be a nightmare. That's not what I'm saying, but there will be more crime because there are more people. So, with Donald Trump sending these people to sanctuary cities, those cities are going to receive an additional financial burden, and they're going to receive an additional crime burden. And then it's up to the conservative side of the media to try to bring those things to light, and that those things can be campaign fodder going into the 2020 election. Now, the Democrats probably understand what he's doing, and now they've got to find a way to fight back against this and say, wait, 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 we don't want to do it this way. And that makes them look like they're going back on their word, and it makes them look like maybe they're not so compassionate about these people after all. Uh, Not going to carry water for Trump here on this show, but uh, when he does something that is somewhat meaningful from um, from a political standpoint or just from a persuasion standpoint... We're going to talk about those things, and we're going to talk about what he's really doing, and um, my goal here on this show is not to be so emotional that we stray from the facts and that we just get so caught up in the talking points that we miss what's really going on, but instead I want to point out what does this really mean? What is this person trying to do? What are they trying to convince you? And hopefully that can help you as you watch the news to spot these kind of things. Hopefully it can help you, you know, maybe in your, maybe in your job and your personal life as you deal with other people that, you know, you learn how people are trying to move you and persuade you and and maybe ways that you can help yourself in that way too. If you like the show, feel free to reach out to me. Let me know where you're listening from, what you think, what you want to talk about here. Uh, I'm on Twitter.com at Garrett again, G-A-R-E-T-T, just one R in Garrett. And I'm also at Facebook.com slash Garrett again. Uh, I don't do quite as much on Facebook because honestly their algorithms just keep trying to push me out and I'm debating as to whether I even want to stay on Facebook at all because it's it's not helping me reach many people. But what you can do is share this podcast with your friends, send a link to somebody, and we'll be back again. We're going to be doing this show more and more regularly. Uh, I'd love to get up to once a week and then eventually get up to maybe even a couple times a week. I've already promised you we're not going to do the mainstream talking points. We're going to talk about what's really going on here. So if you want to be bored, listen to NPR. If you want to hear people running around with their hair on fire, listen to CNN. Uh, If you want to bow at the altar of the almighty GOP, then listen to Fox News. But if you want something better than the mainstream talking points, click that subscribe button and come back next week. Till then, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.